Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Thinking Bigger with Kevin Feely. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Greg. I grew up in the mean streets of San Diego, California. I always joke about it because you know where I live, Del Mar, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, I said so I was in a street gang, and at night we'd break into Maseratis and detail them. <laughs> we, we were not a tough group. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, Del Mar is a very nice area where the uh, the Del Mar horse race is. What was it? Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so you are one of the authors of Three Feet from Gold. Can you tell us a little bit about that book and what inspired you and Sharon to dive in on that? Well, sure. First of all, I've been published in 148 books, 45 different languages, and have a star on the Walk of Fame. So that's one of the books that we did. But that one in particular was based on the juggernaut, the Bible of Personal Development, Think and Grow Rich. The very first chapter was Three Feet from Gold. It's a story about a gold miner. You already know this story. Are you Darby, who has gold fever, goes yep. out west, starts digging, finds a couple nuggets, gets excited. He tells his family they chip in money to buy equipment to pull it out by the ore cart. And the first ore cart came out, and he was happy. It was filled with gold, but then the gold ran out. Kept digging, no more gold. Defeated, he walks out of the mine and says, I quit, and sees a junk man walking by. He says, hey, buddy. Give me a couple hundred bucks. We'll say the mine, the deed, the equipment. I'm going back home to something I know I'm good at. Well, the junk man surveying the equipment was worth thousands because the family tipped in dough. Says, here's a couple hundred bucks. You got yourself a deal. Darby goes home defeated. But the junk man goes to an engineer and says, what happened? This cat hit golden, ran out. And the engineer starts laughing. He says, it's mining 101. Everyone knows that gold runs in a straight line called the gold vein. What Darby did is he came in one side, hit the gold, and then popped back into dirt. He says, go back to where they discovered treasure, go 90 degrees, three feet, the opposite way you'll pack, tap back into the gold. Not only did the junk man pull millions upon millions of dollars out, but that still fills Fort Knox today. And the moral is, how many times have we or someone we know quit one class short from a degree or sales or marriage or marketing? It's easy to quit, but it's the people that persevere and go that extra three feet they're the ones that we tell the stories about. Right. Yeah, I think that a lot of people have a constant habit of following that instant gratification train, right? Well, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. You remember the old marshmallow effect, right? Where delayed gratification. And yeah. It's so interesting, but it's the people that are willing to sacrifice and do the work now, eventually they have the biggest payoffs in the end. But people that look for the immediate gratifications usually do not. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I think that a lot of people, especially when starting businesses, they choose to hop into one thing and then when it gets hard, they move on to another. Do you think that's pretty similar to the story of Darby? Yeah, but it's also my, uh, one of my other books I did called Think and Grow Rich Stickability, The Power yeah. to Persevere. And it's the people that persevere. You know, Napoleon Hill always said, he goes, there's three causes of failure. He said, there's a million books and a million different programs that will teach you to get rich and to have success. He goes, but do these three things and you'll fail every time. One was procrastination. It's putting off till tomorrow what you should do today. The other one was quitting before the miracle happened. And the biggest one was the inability to get along with other people. He says, if you can master those three things, there's no limit to the success you can have in your life. Right. Yeah, I think that's really important. Now, one of my favorite books is How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Uh, do you Carnegie, follow? Of yeah. course. Yeah, exactly. See, these are all classics, right? These right. are the Bible of personal development. These are the things that we all grew up on. And I love how the new generation is regurgitating them and adding their own spin to it. Right. I always say, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just put a new hubcap. Yeah, <laughs> right. that's a good one. And that's what's happening right now. Right, okay. 
All right. So what advice do you have to anybody that's maybe starting a business or looking to leave a job and really just try to think bigger and hit that next level in their life? Well, seek counsel and not opinion. You know, we talk about it in Three Feet from Gold. Successful people seek counsel and failures listen to opinion. The difference is opinion is based on ignorance, lack of knowledge, inexperience, like all your family friends who've never done what you're about to do. Right. Counsel is based on wisdom, knowledge, mentorship. So if I wanted to write a best-selling book and tell my family and friends, they might try to talk me out of it to protect me because I'm dyslexic and I can't spell very well. Yeah. But more importantly, they've never written a best-selling book. If I go to Mark Victor Hansen who wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul, he's going to say, Greg, sit down. Here's what you want to know and give you counsel based on wisdom, knowledge, mentorship. If we would spend our activity only seeking counsel and ignoring opinion, that's the day our lives would change. Yeah, that's really important. And I think that there's a problem because – most people, when they go into college for business, they're learning from somebody who's not really a business owner. Maybe they've had experience in business, but typically it's that corporate, you know, step-by-step mm -hmm. MBA-style business. Do you think that there's benefit to going to school for that, or should you spend your time learning from people who have actually done bigger things? Well, those who can do, those who don't teach, right? Yeah. So that's the old adage and right. at the end of the day, I, I would never tell people what they should or should not do for myself i'm not a big believer in the university system although i've got a few honorary doctorates so i'm a doctor a couple times over however I, going through the actual system isn't that important to me even right. for my son who's 10 in fact truth i sat inside aside the other day and said hey i'll give you a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to not go to college and he says well i go i'll put a hundred thousand dollars right now you're 10 into any account you want and by the time you're 18, we'll probably double that. And you can use that to start a business or do whatever you want to do. But you don't go to college. What do you want to do? Yeah. And so that's kind of I'm putting it out there right now. That's excellent. So did you have any kind of sales background prior? I feel like most very successful entrepreneurs have a sales background. I don't think I would be where I am without it. Um, do you have a sales background? Of course. That, yeah. You're not going to find anyone into our industry that doesn't have some form of a uh, sales background because it's about influencing people. Now, right. You know, it's not doing the Jedi mind tricks that get you in the back of the room with the credit card. It's about in, engaging with people and knowing how to communicate and how to, uh, you know, collaborate on an even basis. I think that's why sales is so important. Right. Yeah. Whenever anybody asks me, how do I make more money? I always tell them about value. And mm. typically the easiest way to make more money is to get into sales or marketing or both. Brian Tracy, he always yeah. used to talk about sell your way out of it. That That's saved me so many times. So for example, sell your way out of it means that, look, if you are in a company and you're trying to save money by cutting back on toilet paper and post-it notes, well, one $5,000 sale makes enough profit you don't have to worry about that thing so right. sell your way out of focus on the positive moving forward you don't have to worry about going backwards so every time i find myself in a little jam i would say how can i sell my way out of this right i love that so tell me a little bit about secret knock what is that all about for the people that don't know well first of all it's a secret so it's pretty basic stuff so for those who don't know my work uh, my full-time job is i get to travel the world to meet the most powerful and influential people. And then I tell their stories in best-selling books and movies. And people kept saying, how do I meet your friends? So I started an event in my living room with 12 people and it grew exponentially. We've never ran an ad, anything, and it's been 16 years and we sell out months in advance. And here's the best part. It costs five grand to go and we will not tell you where it is or who will be there. Absolutely nothing. We just tell you the city, the state, 
the date, and that's it. So you can make your plane reservations. And then right before, we drip the secret location. And by doing that, we brought in the most powerful and influential people that most could never have access to, from private Skype with Edward Snowden while he's hiding in Russia, all the way down to President Vicente Fox without Secret Service, talking about how George Bush tried to trick him to go to war in Iraq. Right. Last time we brought in Carol Baskin from the Tiger King, <laughs> and uh, just in a few days from now, I've got one of the most controversial people ever. She's right now number five most Googled person in the world, Stormy Daniels. Okay, wow. Jeez, so, so the connections. How long did that take for you to start to build those connections? And actually, before that, sorry, I want to step on one thing. I know that a lot of people, when they hear that number, that price tag, $5,000, especially if they don't know what they're getting, I don't understand how people don't want to dive into those things because that is the best investment you can make, investing in yourself and in your network. Now, would you consider this a mastermind? No, I consider it more of a networking community of like-minded people. A mastermind group. By the way, I own mastermindgroup.com, yep. just for the record. And I own the Mastermind Association that teaches people how to become certified mastermind coaches. But when this is an event, and what I like to do is there's no coaches, there's no teachers, there's no mentors. I just bring in the actual person. Right. So if you see them in the media, rather than seeing them in 60 Minutes or CNN, you can actually have a taco bar with the guy. And so if you want to get into the clothing industry, here's the founder of Ugg Boots, a multi-billion dollar brand. If you got an idea for a board game, here's a guy who did Pictionary. If yeah. you want to start a nonprofit, here's a guy who started Make-A-Wish. Imagine seeking counsel from the people who've actually done what everyone else in the entire industry is just talking about. Right. And that's what we do different. Right. That's amazing. Now, in terms of the mastermind principle, because I've always grown exponentially when I'm a part of a mastermind, Agreed. even though maybe I didn't know I was a part of one. Tell me about a time that masterminds have helped you. Nonstop. In fact, I'm in them all the time. So if night one of Secret Knock, as soon as it's done, I have a little mastermind with some of the most powerful people that I've got. And again, what's nice is a pure group. No one wants anything from each other. The challenge with most mastermind groups is that a leader sells you into it and they sit in a semicircle and they sell you shit. That's not a mastermind group. A mastermind group is when you can actually ask questions and you have a pure group. So for example, this is the way it should form. Someone sits in an opportunity chair and says, my name is X, I'm working on Z, I need help with Y, what would you do? And then people ask clarifying questions. It's like walking into a doctor's office. You don't say, give me pills. He's going to ask you a question. And that's where your peer group says, have you tried this? Have you done this? And you answer that. And then the group goes around and gives feedback. Right. And when they give feedback, as the opportunity chair, you say, thank you very much. You don't yeah, but it. You don't argue it. You just accept it. Because, again, if you're getting clarifying questions from your peers and then they give you guidance, I guarantee one nugget will stick through. And that one thing could change your life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the number one thing you can do is invest in yourself, meaning invest in your surroundings and your education because those things especially if you're learning how to make money that's like planting a seed that's always going to pay out down I the road agreed and what's interesting like you mentioned a five thousand dollar price tag well these people that come to my event we have 40 different presenters and each one of them charges what 15 20 dollars a talk and yeah. you're going to have <laughs> full access to these people for technically nothing right so it's all how you look at it and the whole idea we do is what different is that we're known as the greatest event you cannot go to you cannot attend you have to know somebody be invited there's no name tags everyone's treated the same so you're sitting at a table you have no idea until i call you to stage and oh this is the guy who started 
you know, North Face, or right. this is the person who started this. And that's what it is. We're a real community. Right. That's incredible. So if somebody's listening to this and maybe they don't have $5,000, maybe that just sounds way unreachable and they've got to start somewhere. Mm. How would you start to either get mentors or get into a mastermind or some sort of program or situation where you can learn from somebody like that? Well, seek counsel again and not opinion. I'll give a great example. Uh, there's a big difference between being a mentor and a coach. And right. I think this is a misnomer. So this is very clear for people watching this is a mentor is an older wise sage who might just be one step ahead of you. Okay. They're free. You don't pay a mentor. If you did, you're being ripped off. Right. A coach is someone you do pay to kick you in the tail to do it. So a good mentor might say, Hey, you need to lose a couple pounds. And then you hire a coach to kick you in the ass and wake you up to take you to the gym. They're two different people. Right. And then we should have multiple coaches, multiple mentors in our life. So I've got a great tennis coach that teaches me my backhand, but I'm not going to ask financial literacy. Yeah. And I'm not going to ask my mentor that teaches me public speaking anything about my accounting. Right. So I'm very particular who I get my information from. That's amazing. That's a really great answer. I think that a lot of people feel lost, but that's a, that's a great way to put it where you separate mentorship from an actual paid coach. Correct. Now, how do you identify a paid coach that's not a bullshit artist? Well, first of all, seek counsel, not opinion. I'm going to repeat it. And it's common sense. Go up to that person and say, what makes you an authority in this chosen field of endeavor? That's it. In fact, I own a website and the trademark CredibleSource.com because I got so tired of all these Instagram fake ass wannabe gurus. So all they do is take a picture in front of a Lamborghini. Yeah. So I fly in Mr. Lamborghini. Yeah. Two different experiences, right? right? So that's the difference. Surround yourself with people that are getting the results you want. Now hear this. The most successful people are the most available. I'm going to say it again. The most successful people are the most available. If you're brand new, you're happy-go-lucky, you're fresh, you're cool. Top of the field, you got nothing to prove. Right. People in the middle, pain in the neck. They're filled with ego, edging God out, finding their own voice. So jump to the front of the line. As a kid, you got in trouble if you're in, you know, going through the cafeteria, jumping the line. But in today's world, that's what you do. When I wanted to be a best-selling author, I went to Barnes and Noble. I bought every best-selling book. I didn't want to be a great writing author. I'm dyslexic. I can't write. So I went to the best-selling section and I called everyone up and said, "Will you teach me?" They did. And here we are today. Amazing. Yeah. And that's something that I think that a lot of people wouldn't think of, right? Because you have to think bigger to do something like that. Most people would have limiting beliefs around that. Like, oh, well, I can't get their info. They're these famous authors or I can't get connected to them or I'm a nobody. Why would they want to help? Mm -hmm. Right? Well, here's the way it works. First of all, they don't want to have dinner with you. They don't want you to bring coffee. They don't want to chat about your kids, what you ate for dinner. I'm telling you right now, it's specificity. And I know I'm just like, I'm not saying it right, yeah, yeah, but yeah. specificity, be specific. And it works like this. If I would have learned this when I was your age, it would change my life. I'm giving it to you now. Specificity. So what, if I want to get to the founder of Remax Real Estate, I'm going to reach out and say, Dave, I'm asking for 12.5 minutes of your time. That's all. I will cover all my own costs and expense to come to you. From the moment I open the door till the time I leave will be 12 and a half minutes. I'll start a stopwatch. I just want to ask you one question, X, Y, Z. The chance of that person coming from their office to the break room is so freaking high because it's specific and they know exactly what to expect. Right. But people say, I want to pick your brain. I want you to take, they don't have any time for that. Right. I'll give you another example. I get up on stage and there's a thousand people wanting to meet you and take pictures and sign books. It's an amazing feeling. They say the nicest things. How can I work with you? How can it be of contribution? How can it be of service? 
I don't have 30 minutes for a resume check. There's a long people. Right. But someone comes up and say, dude, I saw your Instagram. You got 2 million followers. I make really good Instagram memes. Let me send you one. If you like it, you'll use me. Eight seconds, I know who you are, what you do. You got my cell phone. We're in contact. Yep. That's the difference. Right. Yeah, I think that people forget that value goes both ways, right? In order to get something from somebody, you do have to give. And I think in a mentor-mentee relationship, a lot of the times that ends up being uh, that you as a mentor want to help somebody, right? There is nothing, there's no better feeling, at least to me, when I'm able to help some 19-year-old kid get into his first sales job that changes his life. That is why I do what I do. That's why I have this podcast. I hope I plant seeds in people and they can grow. Do you think that that would contribute value? Well, obviously. You just answered your own question, but you set it up in a nice way. On the same note, you honor your mentors by taking action. It's the action of the law of attraction that makes our dreams a reality. Think it, feel it, get off your ass and do it. When I went to my first mentor in public speaking, it was a guy named Les Brown. He's a motivational legend. He says, you got to be hungry. I went out to him and I said, Les, I'm asking for one bit of counsel. What can I do different to make my speaking career better? And he gave it to me. And then I did something absolutely crazy. I applied what he taught me. Yeah. And then I sought him a month later. I said, Mr. Brown, I met you a month ago. I asked you for a tip. You gave it to me. I did it. Here's my results. What should I do next, sir? First of all, his jaw's on the floor because no one's ever done that before. You right. honored your mentor by taking action. What's the chance of him giving me that second nugget? One hundred percent that's the difference between most people that just want and those who get that's amazing and that actually carlos that sounds like dan falkerson doesn't it because my mentor dan falkerson he's a lawyer here in san diego when i first moved here broke had nothing i reached out to him said hey can we go to lunch and i was specific i'm trying to learn how to build my business can we just meet up he said sure let's do it we went to lunch asked him a bunch of questions took about 45 minutes we left shook hands and I went out and applied it. And I said, hey, I wanna to get to 50,000 a month in my business. Well, the next time I reached out to him, I had hit that goal. And I think that that's why he continuously says yes to me because very few people, a lot of people wanna ask, nobody wants to put in the work. Do you, do you think that that's common? I don't think no one wants to. I just think very few do. But, right. And again, that separates ourselves from the 95% who just dream to the top 5% who actually take action and do. Right. So again, it's the action of the law of attraction. Right. Bob Proctor and I wrote a book together. It's called Thought, Think and Grow Rich, Thoughts Are Things, and how our thoughts manifest themselves to become reality. And we realize that thoughts are not things. It's a bunch of crap. If thoughts were things, I'd be a slice of pizza right now because I'm kind of hungry, right? But if I'm done and I go to Felipe's after this, my thoughts become reality by the actions in which we took. We all have had a million dollar idea in the shower. By the time we brush our teeth, it's down the drain to see it on a billboard 10 years later. The only difference is one person acted. Right. Hmm. So let's talk about the law of attraction. Um, obviously, that's a big part of Think and Grow Rich, but I do like the fact that you talk about the same thing I always bring up, which is you have to put in the work. So what are some of the common misconceptions of law of attraction? I think you probably beat this to death. So we'll just be regurgitating that one. Again, sure. I can keep saying it. It's the action in the law of attraction that okay. makes your dreams a reality. Think it, feel it, get off your backside and do it. The fact is we do not attract what we want. We only attract more of what we are. That's it. So until we're willing to change, 
then nothing around us will change. Right. It comes down to that simple basic. I mean, if I wanted to get into a bar fight, I wouldn't even know where to start, right? I guess you go to a bar, but the whole thing <laughs> is I wouldn't even know because I don't attract that. But right. certain people find them every weekend, right? Yeah. So same thing for me. Whatever you seek is seeking you, like Rumi, the great philosopher, would say. So for myself, you know, look, there's an old quote that says, you can learn everything you need to know about someone by the company you keep. You've heard that, right? Yes. It's a bunch of crap. You can learn every single thing about somebody by exactly where they're at because we are where we choose to be. If someone says, I want a Lamborghini but don't have a Lamborghini, it just means they weren't willing to do what was necessary to get that Lamborghini. Right. Okay. Excellent. So I want to talk about what you brought up, which is having dyslexia, right? I have a learning disability, supposedly. I had a couple head injuries when I was younger, and that always created issues for me. And I was always molded or at least told by teachers and authoritative figures that I was not going to be anything, right? Because I wasn't fitting in this box of getting straight A's and going through school and all of that literally went against society. I'm, I'm curious, when you were younger, did you, were you sort of rebellious and went the, against the grain? Yes, but I also used it in my, I work my strengths and I hire my weaknesses. Or if you don't have money, work your strengths and align with your weaknesses. So from the very earliest of time and memory, I did things just differently. So for example, when I was 14 and I didn't have money to you know, have a job or anything like that because I couldn't work, I took my dad's lawnmower and I went door to door and I got them to pay me $10 to mow their lawn. And then I'd hire the other kids in the neighborhood for five bucks to mow the lawn for me. I was just an entrepreneur. That's how I saw things. Right. So I've always had that vision a little bit different than other people. But I didn't let it stop me. I would never let another person tell me what I can and cannot do. Right. When I did my first book, it's called The Millionaire Mentor. And that book was turned down 268 times in a row. And the 269th publisher said, we'll do it. Change the title, beginning, middle, end. It sucked. Because again, I wrote it. So I got a ghostwriter who recrafted it, and it went on to become a worldwide phenomenon, so much so that one quote was shared 37 million times last year. It says, a dream written down with a date becomes a goal. A goal broken into steps becomes a plan. A plan backed by action makes your dreams come true. Everyone's seen it. Bumper stickers, coffee mugs. That's my quote from a book that was turned down 268 times in a row. That's amazing. When you were getting turned down by these publishers, was there at any point where it was not going to happen to you? Or did you always know for a fact that it was going to happen? It was just about when. Well, you just said it. It was the knowing. I didn't hope. I didn't wish. I didn't believe. I didn't manifest in crystal bowls. I knew I was going to do it. I just didn't know how. Right. So I didn't take it as an insult. And more importantly, I had the courage to call the people that would turn me down and say, what am I missing? I know you're not going to publish it. We're good. I won't even ask again. What can I do different? Right. And the moment that someone said, hey, your writing sucks. You need a ghostwriter. Didn't hurt, insult me. I said, great. How do I find a ghostwriter? Yeah. And I went to the next step, and here we are today. That's amazing. I think that, and I wonder if you agree, but the number one thing that separates successful people from not successful people is not fucking giving up. Mm. Do you think that that's true? Well, again, back to my book, Stickability. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's the whole idea. Right. Uh, first, there's a dream, then there's a challenge, and then comes victory. Unfortunately, most people quit in the challenging times. Mm -hmm. And the solution is usually so clear but that they don't see it. In fact, when we're done, uh, send me your address, and I'll send you these other books. I think you need to get caught up on these other ones Thank as you. well. So, for example, in Stickability, one person we interviewed was a guy named Steve Wozniak. He started a company called Apple Computer with Jobs. And said, how did you and Jobs have success? in your life and he said we 
embraced our lack. You go, what? He goes, we embrace what we didn't have. We didn't run from it. We ran towards it. I said, teach me. He says, it works like this. He goes, when little microchip processors came out, they were so expensive, we could only afford one. Job sold his car. I sold my calculator. We pulled our money. We bought one. Hewitt Packard would have machines in IBM that go from point A to B with 20 chips. They had all the money of God. He said, I'd pull away five and go from A to B with 15. I'd pull away five, get it to work with 10. Eventually, I found a way to go from A to B using our one chip. He goes, we were not trying to be innovative or aerodynamic or cool. We could afford one chip. Yeah. He goes, but by embracing that as an opportunity, we found the shortest, cleanest path. And by doing that, we changed the way people do personal computing for the rest of the world for the rest of their life. He goes, where could you be in your own business if you stop looking at something as a challenge? It could just be your greatest blessing and opportunity in disguise. Right. Now, when you're getting in the door with these folks, what's the number one thing that you would tell somebody who is brand new, who's trying to, I don't know, get in with a Wozniak or somebody like that, that most people would think that that's just impossible? Well, if you think it is, then <laughs> chances are it is. I just don't have that. I, I, I'm crazy, I guess. I just assume everyone wants to meet with me. Yeah. And so, I've, again, and just like everyone watching this, you've never heard of me before. That's the same thing when I'm reaching out to these people. In my circle, I'm a very popular guy, but outside, no one has a clue. And so when I'm reaching out to these big, giant juggernauts, they have no idea. But the way I do it is how I explained earlier. It's just specificity. And the more specific you can be, the greater of the chances of opening the door it is. And now with social media, it's super easy. Trust me, I just DM people. Yeah. That's it. That's how we got connected. That's it. It's not rocket science anymore, right? And we're back. We just took a quick break. Uh, so Greg, tell us a little bit more about the process of writing a book. When you dive in to write a book, is it something you've been thinking about tremendously? Are you trying to solve a problem? Where does your mind go? And first of all, I'd like to talk about Carlos just being so talkative over there in the corner. <laughs> I just wish that guy would be quiet once in a while. Quiet, Carlos. So writing a book is interesting. First of all, I don't write a book. I got ghostwriters, editors, copywriters. They right. take my gift of gab, and then they create it in a way people would actually want to read it. Um, so I'll give you a great example. I, I, with the Millionaire Mentor. The book said a boy wants a bicycle, gets off his ass, takes a lawnmower, mows a lawn, makes money, buys a bike. And it comes back to me and says, it was a glorious Sunday afternoon when a young bright-eyed lad <laughs> caught the entrepreneurial spirit as he went outside, right? So that's the difference. I work my strengths and then I hire my weaknesses. Right. So when people sit there and say, I want to write a book, I always say, don't. Hire a ghostwriter who's an expert at it yeah. because you can sit down, they can take it out of your brain and then craft in a way people would want to see it. Yeah. And also time is money. And I do like that you say that you hire your weaknesses, right? Because... Well, why would you want to do it yourself if you're not great at it, right? Understanding your power is probably so powerful, Understanding right? your power is powerful. Exactly. That will be the name of the next book. And I have these weird, what I call downloads, and it sounds strange, but I write in parable. You've read some of my work. None of it is like, here's what you do and here's how to do it. It's always a story within a story. Right. So what happens is I'll be driving, for example, I just had one two days ago, and I called my ghostwriter and said, write this into a book. And literally this is happening in real time as of this morning. So I was just driving and all of a sudden I had this download and I turn off the radio and here's what the, it flowed through me. I said, uh, there's a building in New York and they are renovating it. And what happens, there's this woman who's going through a divorce and she wins her apartment in the settlement. When everyone comes back in, they give the people a doorman for the first time and his name's JB. And the woman's going out one day and it's cold and blistery. She's not used to the new 
you know, doors and flings back into her face. And she goes, oh, it's going to be a crappy day. And then the doorman, JB, comes up and says, well, if you think that way, then chances are that's the way you're going to see it. And she goes, what the heck? And they start building up this bond. And then what happens is this JB sees her growing and takes little post-it notes and takes all these cool little messages and puts on her mailbox and tells her what book she should read. And her life starts transforming and things. They're, okay, so you get the idea. Yeah. Later on in the, now fast forward, then my brain goes to the end of it. That's the beginning. And so at the end of it, what happens is the woman comes down and says, oh, my husband's payment was late. I don't want to be late on my uh, mortgage here on my rent. Would you do me a favor to the doorman, JB? Would you go ahead and get this to uh, Jacob Brewery, you know, real estate? And he goes, yeah, don't worry. I'll cash it next week. And she goes, what? JB, J- what? And goes, that's you? And goes, yeah. I says, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I realize that the secret of happiness for me isn't the money, it's meeting the people. And every new building, I always act a doorman because I get to hear firsthand what's going wrong and things I can fix right. to give them a better experience. And he goes, I've just been sharing with you the things that I've been doing along the way. And then like at Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, at the end of it, this woman's life transforms and he says, hey, guess what? I'm leaving to go to my next building. Do me a favor. You can actually stay in that apartment for free. I want you now to become the manager and run this thing. Oh, my God. And you haven't written this yet. This is something you just, just It just came of. to my head yesterday. And so I, I called my ghostwriter and said, there's my next book. So now she's working on making that a book. That's incredible. That is like top tier level stuff too. That's, that's how it works. Yeah. Now, when you said, you said something important that I want people to listen to. You said everything I say people should know. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> don't you sure. know who I think I am? But but really, you you said you and you even motioned like there was a river flowing above you. Yeah. You know, I've heard this and I felt this sometimes where you almost pull a thought out of the ether or whatever, right? Nikola Tesla talked about the ether and there's this, you know, invisible force. Okay, let's go. You want to go down this rabbit hole? Here's the way it yeah. really works, okay? Everything is energy, and it's already around us. Through in the airwaves right now, do you agree that there's country music, rap music, and classical? Yes or no? Yes. And if we took a radio receiver and we dialed it into an exact frequency, like 100.7 FM, we could pull it out, correct? Yes. Yep. That's the way it works. Have right. you ever met someone that's not as smart as you but have more success? Of course. Someone's not as good looking and have a better looking girlfriend. The only difference is they tapped into the source. Right. So it's very interesting. What happened was when uh, Michael Jackson wrote Thriller, supposedly he got up in the middle of the night and wrote it from beginning to end and didn't stop. And they asked him why he did that. And he says, I didn't want Prince to tap in first. Ooh. So the whole idea is that it's all infinite infinite knowledge now the whole idea though it's the questions in which we ask this is where it gets complicated is the exact radio frequency so if i sat there in the exactness of google and i said men's shoes size 10 it's going to give me a billion responses but if i said google men's shoes size 10 color eight within a half a mile of my vicinity it gives me an exact thing that's dialing the frequency to 100.7 100.9 doesn't work it has to be exact Here's how you do it. It's the questions in which we ask. Unfortunately, most people ask this question. God, why does this always happen to me? Just like Google. This is why you dumbass and gives you more of it. Right. When will this go to hell in a handbag? Tuesday at four. It's giving you those answers. Right. But myself and my friends, here's the questions we ask. How can it get even better than this? What's the challenge of our solution in a challenge that I'm not seeing right now that could be easily solved on my phone? 
who's within my sphere of influence I could open up to right now to have a connection that could change both of our lives. And guess what? Those answers suddenly start magically appearing. Right. And that's the only thing we do different. That's incredible. And the, the thing you said about not letting Prince tap into it first is incredible. And people, I think, on a higher level of consciousness start to understand this, right? Like getting to a top of a mountain and looking down, like it becomes so clear. You know, you see people like the, the woman who gets hit by the door in your book, uh, future book, like attracts like, right? Do you agree? Yes. I mean, that's basically it's what energy. you said. Yes. Yeah. Do I agree they're in energy? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody's in a rough spot, right? They're, I mean, they're just like, we all know somebody who there's just a negative cloud. I'm, I already answered it. Seek counsel, not opinion. Right. Get out of the cloud. Look, don't, if I was a starving artist, first thing I would do is go to the local gallery. I'd sit out front and watch whose art is being pulled off the walls and being sold. Mm -hmm. And then I'd call that person and say, how did you do it? I'm not going to hang out with other starving artists. Right. If I was going to get into selling cars, first of all, I'd only sell high-end cars because it's just as much amount of work, but higher income. And I would go in and say, do me a favor. I'm brand new. Sit me next to the guy who's ringing the bell every other day. I want to hang out and learn from people who are getting the results we want. Right. That's it. That's it. So like, I've made major motion pictures. Uh, again, we're on the ballot for the Oscars in 19, and I made it right here in San Diego because I surround myself with people that knew what they were doing. Right. It started with action. It was a good story. I was hanging out with the founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. He was at Secret Knock. And I said, what was your wish? He goes, what do you mean? I go, you're the founder of Make-A-Wish. What would you want? He goes, no one asked me. He says, well, I'm going to be the guy to grant the wish of the founder of Make-A-Wish. What do you want? Anything? You want a Lamborghini? I know a guy. He says, no, I just want my story to be told so my grandkids will know I did something. So he signed over his life rights, and I said, Frank, I'll make it into a major film. Just know I've never made a film. <laughs> and he trusted me, and it took six years because I was learning the curve. But it all started where I ran an ad for a secretive website for someone to write the screenplay called Craigslist. I don't know if you heard of it or not. And for 25 bucks, a guy answered the ad here in San Diego, wrote the screenplay, directed it, produced it with me, and we won awards all around the world. You said for 25 bucks? 25 bucks. And then for six years or five years, I was stumbling blocked because I wasn't getting the code. And I'm going to teach you that in a second. I'd go to Hollywood and I'd meet with these people that were all these fancy folks. And they say, yes, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And a year would go by and nothing would happen. I'd lose a year. And then another person would say this. Until finally I sat down with a guy who started Showtime Television. His name's Jules. And I said, what's the code? I go, I'm missing something. He goes, you are. He goes, in Hollywood, a yes is a no. A no is a no. A maybe is all you're looking for. And the light bulbs went off. And I go, explain it. He goes, think about it. You go up to Hollywood, everyone goes, yeah, baby, we're going to make you a star. Get in the back of the car. We can get 14 million. That's a no. A no is a no. But a maybe, hey, that actually sounds like a logical plan. Let's set up a meeting with the studio. Get That's all you're looking for. And so every time I go to Hollywood, after I learned that, and every yes, I look, took as a no, and I'd look for the maybes, and then seven months later, the movie got made. We were streaming live on Netflix for years, and now we're worldwide, and it's pretty crazy. That's incredible. Now, what did you get the star on the Walk of Fame for? Writing books, being an author. A guy who's dyslexic, can't spell, can't read, and can't write. Play me words with friends, you'll win every time, by the way. Right. That's amazing. Work your strengths. That. Hire your weaknesses. Yeah. So, um, wow, that is, I mean... Now, what did you get started in? I mean, what was your first job? 
sales. Like again, everything is is sales, right? So the first thing I was in telemarketing for years. In fact, I owned a telemarketing phone room called WorkSmart. My website was worksmartnothard.com and we sold CPS, cheap plastic stuff, like imprinted <laughs> pens and keychains and all the stuff you see for real estate agents. And I did very, very well there. And it was interesting because I would teach everyone that worked with me all the same things we're talking about right now. And right. not one person applied it. Yeah. Many receive good advice. Very few people profit from it. Right. Yeah. So if somebody, and I, I, I know that you're probably going to say seek counsel, but if you could be a little more specific on if somebody is stuck in a position of their life and they're ready to get to that next level, I mean, they're ready to run through a brick wall. Yeah. Again, who's getting the results you want? Right. So that that's the answer. The brick wall only comes because you're out of resources. You're right. out of knowing people. So for example, pick any industry, pick one, go, go, go. Real go. estate. Okay. Real estate. If I was going to go into real estate, I go, all right, in San Diego, the biggest real estate agent is Chris Heller, the home seller just right now. Number one guy in the the nation. So what I would say, all right, I need to have a meeting with Chris. And then what I would do is I'd track him down and I'd say, Hey, I need 12.5 minutes of your time. I'm asking you one simple question, X, Y, Z. And more importantly, I promise to follow up and tell you the results I got. The chance of Chris Heller having that appointment with you is so high. Right. Great. Yeah. I mean, my, my first mentor came from a job that I had, you know, I talk about on the podcast a lot, but I was a stoner, you know, 18 year old kid walking by a kiosk in the mall. And I jokingly said, Hey man, can I get a job? And the guy hired me. And that was where I learned sales. And mm -hmm. I think sales and influence and why I say, you know, how to win friends and influence people might be one of the most impactful books I've read, um, is because sales and influence is so critical period. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And we're using it sales no matter what we're doing. Look, if we're trying to get a window seat at a restaurant or, or we're negotiating a car, things of this nature. Yeah. The biggest thing about sales is you can't be more attached to the outcome than the other person. That That's the key. Once people understand that, that's where you start having success in your life. Right. For, for example, if I want to buy a car more than the guy who wants to sell me a car, I'm going to lose in that deal, mm -hmm. right? So the whole thing is I am a firm believer of being non-attached. Here's what that means. Detached means you don't care. That's not a good way to live your life. Non-attached means you give everything you can, but you're not attached to the outcome. So for example, every time I'm writing a new book, I give it everything I got, but once I birth it, whether people like it or not, isn't my issue. Right. I'm not attached to the outcome. And by having that type of mentality, amazing things start coming our direction. Right. Now, let me ask you this. Uh, visualiz visualization, is that a big key to what you do? Absolutely. But I don't do the typical stuff that, you know, new people would do, you know, the vision boards and the, you know, stuff. I, I think it's awesome and people should do all forms of it. Yeah. Now it's more of a visual. I can already see where it's going to go before. I, I begin the journey, but I'm not so caught up exactly how it has to happen. Uh, the founder of Chick-fil-A uh, restaurants, it's a, you know, chain. I don't know if you've ever been over Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. yeah. But Truett Cathy, I had a meeting with him and I said, Truett, yeah, three feet from gold. I believe that was in that book. Yeah. And I asked him a question. I go, I want to be successful like you. What do I do different? And he said, stop planning. I go, well, that goes against everything I've ever learned. He goes, well, last year you had plans. I go, yeah. He goes, how did that work out? He said, look for and capitalize on unexpected opportunity. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, if I'm on my sofa and I want to get to the end of the street, that's my goal. Get off your backside, 
take action and move towards that goal. Universe right. rewards action. A planner plans every step where they're going to pause, take a break. A sprinkler comes on, goes against plan, they run back home. Mm. Not me. Yeah. Opportunity. Did a kid leave a skateboard or a bicycle out I could borrow to make my journey short? If I get lucky, I'll wave down a neighbor driving by. Right. It's a ride. He goes, right. either way, I'll get to my goal. I just don't mind how it has to happen. That's that's amazing. I love that you would steal a child's bike to get to your goal too. Borrow. <laughs> Borrow. So um, to circle back, you said the vision boards. So you, you're not a fan of vision boards or you are? Well, I was when I got started. Okay. 100%. I mean, my offices, everything had pictures and fantasies and stuff like that that I wanted. And sure enough, I attained every single thing that was on that vision board. Right. But what happened was is that when I was young, uh, 17 years old, I had a bucket list. 80 impossible items. I mean, impossible items. And once I crossed all those off, I stopped doing the vision board because I already attained every single thing I want. Right. Now I'm like going, what fulfills me rather than just acquiring or attaining something? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, so you would say you, you don't necessarily need to visualize on a vision board because you can probably do it without it. Correct, and I've already attained what I look. Right. I, I already drive a Rolls Royce. So yeah. what, what what am I going to put on the vision board? I already right. live in a man. I already have that. I've made a movie. I've done. You know, I, I've done all those things. Right. So now it's I, I sat my son down, who's ten. His name's Colt, and I say, Colt, what do you want on your vision board? And I'm helping him cross those off. Yeah. Now that gives me energy. That right. fires me up. So do you think that material possessions create happiness at all? I mean, I think that to a point they can, but you know, they say money doesn't buy happiness. And uh, I think it was, El was it Elvis that said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous to know that it's not the answer. Okay, so this is the book I'm writing right now, the one I mentioned earlier, yep. that the whole story of the woman. The yeah. name of that book is called The Secret of Happiness. That's mm. the name of the book. So for the last three years, I've been interviewing people for 12 and a half minutes to find out what the secret of happiness is. Right. And so everyone's got a different version of this stuff. But can money buy happiness? I'm going to say no, but it definitely rents it for a while. And so as long as you have that mentality... Happiness comes from contentment and joy and fulfillment at the end of the day. But I tell you one thing, I feel happy and successful when I'm going on that VIP cruise or I'm staying in a nice place and people are treating me well. So therefore, I believe in circumstances it does. Now, the same note, happiness is a moving target. This mm. is the part that most people miss. What that means is that you wake up in the morning and say, gosh, if I can get to work on time and there's no traffic, I'm happy. Then that happens. And you get to work and say, gosh, if I could have a great sushi lunch today on the company somehow, expense it, I'd make me happy. And if I get home and there's no problem thing, that'd make me happy. So happiness is a moving target. Right. But it's the definition in which you give it. That's why every single person, his, yours, my, everyone you ask has a different definition of happiness. Right. There's no such thing. It's only the definition in which you define it. That's amazing. And I think, uh, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this, but do you think that living in the moment versus living, you know, thinking about, oh, I'd be happy if I had this, you know, being content and, and sitting with gratitude, is that something gratitude that Gratitude is a recurring theme, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it come over and over and over and over. The last thing I say as I go to sleep, and the first thing I say when I wake up is thank you. That I'm a huge yes fan. On the same note, having those goals and things, 
inspires me. I don't know about you. If you're a real sales guy, you can't be a real sales person and not say that goals don't inspire you, make you yeah. happy. Then I think you're a liar. That's yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially in sales, right? Right. So, for example, next week I'm doing this big event, and I, I'm uh, there's certain outcomes that I'm looking for. And my anticipation of that is so fun. It gets me excited more than probably the actual attainment. Yeah, that's amazing. So if you were to manifest a house, right? Let's say you want to buy a house that prior was impossible to you. What would you change in terms of your visualization, your mindset, your heart set, all of this stuff in order to start to make that a reality? All right. So this is a reverse probably thinking mentality because I'm actually in the process right now. Okay. So my mentality is how do I get another property to pay for that property? Okay. So that's my mentality. Yeah. So right now I know, you know, we all know that the market's going to shift. Yeah. And so I'm just waiting diligently. So I've been working on my credit to make sure it's perfect. I got my corporations all set up with the EINs Then I know that I can qualify with my perfect credit, but then I can put them through my EINs. So my corporations will buy these properties. Yeah. And if they're cash flow properties, such as a triplex or duplex or quadplex, things of this nature, that the positive cash flow, if I do at least three of these, will be enough to compensate to pay for the mortgage in the place I'm going to live. Amazing. So that's just my mindset. Yeah, that's really good. So you're working it backwards. Exactly. And I'm actually in the process right now. I'm, I'm like a cheetah, just ready to pounce as yeah. soon as the market, you know, yeah. reveals itself. All right. Well, if you're watching this sometime in the future, this is around the time of the... Uh, uh, Silicon Valley bank collapse and all of these things happening with the banks. So if you're in the future, you know what's happening. We don't know, but I know that this guy's buying that property. Mm, yeah. Well, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Um, everybody, if you would like to follow Greg, please follow Greg. Check out Secret Knock. We're going to have all of this in the show description. Uh, Greg, if you could leave our audience with one last positive message, what is that? CPC. It's one of the greatest ahas I've ever had. It's an acronym that stands for CLUES, C, P, patterns, C, choices. It's accountability and responsibility. Every single thing that happens to you is your fault. We have to stop blaming other people, but that's what we do. C, I'm a single guy. I go out on a first date, amazing woman. She's 20 minutes late. Anything could happen, but that's the first C. It's a clue, little red flag. I dig her. She's awesome. I continue to keep dating her. Every single time I pick her up, she's 20 minutes late. That forms a P, which is a pattern. Now it's my C, choice, whether I deal with it, I yell at her, I break up, I tell her a different time, but it's not her fault. She's just late. We have to stop trying to change people to fit into our own paradigm box. No one wants to be changed. But we'll see someone with a bad reputation in business. They cheat your best friend. You do business. Things shit the bed. You're mad at the person. You saw the clue. You saw the pattern. You made the choice. Mm. It's like seeing a rattlesnake rattle, bite your kid's sister, you pet it, get bit, and you're mad at the snake. Looking back in life, rarely will we be angry at relationships that failed or negotiations that fell through. We're always mad at ourselves because we saw the clues, we followed the patterns, but we made our choices late. And that is a gold nugget. Everybody, please read books like Three Feet from Gold. Check out Greg. Follow him on Instagram and everywhere. And Greg, thank you so much for coming. Let's do it. Appreciate it.